0: This is week three of our God in the Pandemic series. I've really been enjoying it. Um, if you're interested in, in reading the book or purchasing the book that we we're working through, it's called God in the Pandemic by N.T. Wright. Um, it's very, very affordable. I want to say it's like, what, like $7 or something on Amazon? And um, if you think, well, I don't need to read the book because you're talking about it. We are definitely not covering any, everything in the book but it's not super long. Um, it's really worth your time, I think, in your reading um, if you like to read. Um, and yeah, as Pastor Randall mentioned, this is week three. So far, um, we've gone through the Old Testament and how it relates to us here in this COVID-19 experience. And last week, um, the topic of Jesus really being at the center of, of all of this. And, and we sang that song that really really said that and so tonight I am continuing on the topic of the New Testament and this pandemic and really excited about it and to look at the New Testament and a lot of the writings of the Apostle Paul um, who wrote much of the New Testament and and how his writings in the New Testament equip us for this COVID-19 reality and so the first question the first question I would ask is you might ask as well, is, well, why, why the New Testament? And it's pretty simple. You see, the New Testament really serves as the model for how this organization that we call church functions, and really in every aspect. And, and much of the content of the New Testament is about action. What do we do with our faith in practical terms? How do we act in specific situations? How do we participate In the world? And how does our faith work in tandem with our everyday experience? And when we read the New Testament, it informs not only how we worship, but how we operate and how we interact in the world. And this becomes especially true in times of conflict, in times of stress, in times of distress. And just as it helped to shape the early church, it really helps to shape the modern church and in our church community here. It feels like a running joke, actually. There's a, there's a lot of commercials. And, and when they reference the current state of the world, they use this phrase, in these unparalleled times, or in these unpredictable times, or these unexpected times. And it's, it's true we didn't expect this. But it's also kind of not not true. And I'm not I'm not trying to minimize what we're experiencing right now but but the world has been in turmoil before. The New Testament church was was no stranger to upheaval in their circles, in their environments, in their lives. And it was both regional and global events, things like famine, conquering kingdoms, the rise and fall of global empires, and the rain changes of kings. And yet, during these experiences, the church thrived and the church grew. What did they do? How did they do that? And most importantly, how were they able to make such an impact In their own time that is still being felt today, how we are here. So I'd like tonight to examine a few few things from the New Testament church, a few actions from the writings of Paul that allowed the church to serve and to lead and to grow, and how it relates to us here in our city and through COVID-19. So, first, the New Testament teaches us that the church must help. There's the famous story that that Mr. Rogers tells that when he was a young boy and and would watch the news and, and he would see things that were scary or upsetting, his mother would always tell him look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. In our book that I reference, God in the Pandemic, N.T. Wright tells us so often when people look out on the world and its disasters, they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over. Why does he permit it? Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt and put things right? The answer is that God does send thunderbolts, human ones. He sends the poor in spirit the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, and the hungry for justice people. They are more effective than any lightning flashes or actual thunderbolts. They will use their initiative. They will see where the real needs are and go to meet them. They will weep at the tombs of their friends and at the tombs of their enemies. Some of them will get hurt. Some of them may be killed. That is the story of Acts through and through. You see, the church is God's. And we are God's helpers. Whether it be disaster, injustice, or famine, God sends us. Unfortunately, many have used This pandemic is an opportunity to explain what the world has done, what people have done, and what they are doing, and how those things are are wrong. I've seen a few headlines, and one COVID 19 is God's judgment. I saw this one that was particularly frustrating. This is how COVID 19 must be understood with the eyes of faith. It is God's judgment for sin in order to prompt our repentance. This is not the case, it's not true. See, we know from historical sources that that more than one famine rocked the New Testament world. And what did the followers of Jesus in these regions say during these crises? Well, they did not say, this must be a sign that the Lord is coming back soon. They also did not say, this must mean that we have sinned and need to repent. They also did not say, this will give us a great opportunity to tell everyone in the wider world that you have sinned and you need to repent. Nor did they blame others for the situations in which they found themselves. Instead, the New Testament church asks three questions. Number one, Who is going to be at special risk when this happens? Number two, what can we do to help? And number three, who shall we send? See, we are to be the answer not to the question of why is this happening. But we are the answer to the question of what do we do about it? What needs to be done here? Who is at risk? How can we help? Who shall we send? The Bible teaches us that God works in all things. And he works through all of those love him. N.T. Wright again, God always wanted to work in this world through loyal human beings. We can imagine the Antioch church figuring out prayerfully what God was doing. Not why the famine was occurring, but what was to be done to help. And realizing that what God was doing, he was going to do through them. See, in the ancient world and in ancient religion, things like famine and disaster, war and conflict, they all reflected an idea that the gods must be angry with us, thereby enabling prophets to call for repentance. But you see, when Jesus came, he puts an end to that. God does beckon us to repentance. That is true. But it is only through one sign that God beckons us now. God calls all people in every place to repent through what? The events of Jesus. Jesus is now the one great sign. Jesus is the reason that we repent. There are no longer things in the world that cause God to be angry and send his judgment. No. No, you see, Jesus was sent to take all of that. To take all of that on for us. And now we have a free and equal opportunity to engage with God. Acts 17 Verses 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That's Paul's writing. Paul does not allow any other thing to be superimposed or carried over the fact in the person of Jesus. So from the time of Jesus and from the time of Jesus forward, we see Christ followers sharing of God's kingdom and summoning repentance, not because of the major events and the crises that they experienced or the famines or the plagues, but because of Jesus himself. Second is groaning. The church must groan. Romans 8, 22 and 23, Paul writes, we didn't know what to pray for as we ought to, but the same spirit pleads on our behalf with groaning too deep for words. And the searcher of hearts knows that the spirit is thinking because the spirit pleads for God's people according to God's will. That sentence jumps out with groaning too deep for words. Notice that that Paul here says more or less the exact opposite of what the followers of Jesus are wanting to say at at this time. I should say that some followers of Jesus want to say at this time, not all. And as I've mentioned, as we've seen, some are saying that the church should be commenting from the sidelines. It's because you are sinners. It's because tribulation, the end is near. We know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. We know what's going on. And it's our job to tell you. Once again, this is not what Paul is saying. Paul writes that the followers of Jesus are to be caught up in the same groaning that the world experiences. And maybe, maybe you've, you've experienced the bad side of this. I know I've had some conversations with some people in our church who have experienced really, really difficult, really heartbreaking experiences over the last year. And there are some people who, in the name of of helping, rather than mourning alongside and groaning alongside, they prefer to jump in and tell you what you need to do. They tell you what they think went wrong. But they also tell you how you can make it right again. And if you've been in that experience where you are hurting, and someone comes and tells you, well, I appreciate that, but here's what you need to do. What do you want to do? You probably want to punch him in the face. Don't do that. But you also want to say, stop. Stop. Can't you see I am grieving? Can't you just leave me be? Often the presence of this type of person Is worse than being totally alone Or maybe you've experienced the other side of things What, what I like to call And what others have called toxic positivity Where you are mourning And you are grieving And you are in a period of great distress And their response is simply Hey, keep your head up Keep your routine Everything will get back to normal It's going to be fine Yeah, this is difficult, but it's going to be fine. You'll come out of this even better than you were before. Haven't you read the story of Job? We won't get into that tonight, but it's not helpful. See, when we're in crisis and when humans are in crisis, what we don't need is someone to tell us what went wrong and what to do about it. And what we don't need is someone to say, hey, it's going to be fine. What we do need is someone to sit by us to put their arm around us and to groan with us, to engage in silence and to engage in sadness for a while. Now, I'm not saying things won't get better. They will, and God is faithful. But this groaning, this deep mourning, It is a necessity for deep healing. And it takes time. And right now, in in January of 2021, the world is collectively groaning. It's crazy to me that the the first presidential debate, I remember specifically now President Joe Biden mentioning the fact that 200,000 people had died. 200,000. It's like, wow, that's a lot. We're over 400,000 now. 400,000. The number in two months has doubled. And we are hurting. And we are groaning. And we are in pain. And the world is in pain. And what the world doesn't need right now is a church focused on pointing out how we got here or a church pointing out how we can fix it and make it right. What the world really needs is a church that is well-versed in sitting with an arm around the shoulder in silence and allowing people to feel, and allowing people to feel and experience deeply. And just as the earth is groaning the Holy Spirit pleads with groaning too deep for words and calls for us to participate as well. If you joined us last week um, during the music portion, I read an excerpt from, from this book, God in the Pandemic. And the conclusion of the paragraph that I read leads to my final thoughts. So if you don't mind, I wanna read it one more time. He writes, here's the world groaning in travail. There hasn't been a moment like this in my lifetime. It is taking its toll not only in many thousands of deaths, but in the stress and distress of millions. So where should the church be in the middle of it? We are painfully aware of a big gap between the people we are right now, weak, frail, And the people that one day we shall be risen from dead into a glorious, new, and immortal physicality. At the moment, this means that we share in the groaning of creation. This speaks directly to questions about what the church itself should be doing at this present time. The thing above all which the church should be doing right now is praying, helping, groaning, and praying. Looking at Romans 8 again, Paul writes, we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit pleads on our behalf. And as it relates to the affairs of this world right now, and as it relates to this pandemic caused by COVID-19, we're at a loss And it's gone on for such an amount of time that it kind of feels like groaning is about all we've got left. Because quite honestly, I'm not sure what to pray for. And maybe you feel the same way. It's like we've been praying for for an end to this pandemic for a long time. We've been praying for a vaccine to come, which... It has, but we haven't necessarily gotten it yet. We've been praying for protection for our friends and our loved ones. And we've covered that. And I'm not saying that we stop praying for those things, we don't. But at a certain point, if you're anything like me, you stop, you say, man. I don't know what else to pray for. And Paul encourages us that this feeling is not something to be ashamed of. It's a natural part of being human. Because we don't know and and we aren't in control. And we certainly don't feel much glory in these circumstances. But according to Paul, these are the very moments when we become enveloped in a life full of the presence of God. And when we don't know what to say or what to do anymore, the Holy Spirit groans. And in his groaning, the Bible says that he's ever interceding Interceding in our silence and in our pain. And that must be our vocation to be in prayer, often wordless prayer, at the point when the world is in pain. Anti Wright tells us that it's, it's in these moments when, when any words we try to say come out as sobs or tears, we have to remind ourselves that this is how God the Spirit is present at the heart and of the agony of creation. Because when we, as followers of Christ, and when we as the collective community that we call the church, when we pray, we are in cooperation, a co operation with God. And in these moments, God works in us and through us and in tandem with us. And he listens to the prayers of his people. I heard a new song uh, this past week. It's called Jesus, I Have My Doubts by uh, John Foreman. And it's a really, really heavy song. And and it's a really, really thoughtful song. And it's a really, really soul-bearing song. And, and it is so thoughtful and, and so biblical and so authentic that as I was listening, I found myself saying, like, this is better than a lot of, a lot of worship music that I hear right now. And it's a song that I feel would be totally at home if you dropped it into the Psalms of David. And the chorus, the chorus says, when everything that's right feels wrong, all of my belief feels gone and the darkness in my heart is so strong, can you reach me here in the silence? Singing these broken songs, looking for the light for so long. But the pain, it goes on and on and on. Can you reach me here in the silence? To which I would add that Jesus answers with a resounding, yes, yes. When everything feels out of sorts, we pray. And when we don't feel like we have the words left, we still pray. And this could be an entirely separate teaching, but I'd add that praying doesn't always mean using words or asking for things or speaking things. See, prayer is entering in a holy communion with God. Prayer is creating moments to dwell on every part of what God is. His mercy, his grace, his justice, his healing, and his peace. and It is inviting God to move among us and with us and through us to ultimately to accomplish what he wants to do in a cooperation with us. And so we as the church, informed by the New Testament, we respond with helping, we respond with groaning, and we respond with praying. So I'd like to leave us with with the three questions asked by the New Testament church in their own time of crisis once again. Who is at risk? What can we do to help? And who shall we send?